That broadcast is live. There we go. Welcome <laughs> back. This is episode 99. I told Brian that he's going to be the Gretzky interview. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited to have him on. He's an entrepreneur, co-founder of Cypher, Cypher Systems Group, computer-based insurance company, co-owner of the Windsor Spitfires, runs a foundation, Lisa and Brian Schwab Foundation, real estate investor, really taking um, full throttle approach to downtown Windsor, continues to invest in it. And I'm excited to talk about all the initiatives Brian has on the go, a little bit about his business background. And if you have any questions, be sure to comment below throughout the interview. Brian, cool. thanks for being here. Hi, Lyndon. Does that mean I'm the GOAT? G-O-A-T, right? The greatest yes. of all time? Excellent. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's exactly what it means. And for those watching, this is Brian's first podcast. So first. I'm I'm quite honored that you're that you're joining and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Every podcast I start off with a question relating to coffee. It is coffee with Craner. Yep. Where in Windsor Essex would you say is your favorite favorite place for coffee? And no, it cannot be your kitchen. Oh well, it's close. Um, Lisa and I are early risers. We get up between five and five thirty every morning, mostly because Doug, our dog, wakes us up at between five and five thirty every morning. So I always have a coffee. I make it in the kitchen and take it up to the bedroom. So, but my second favorite place is one of our business partners, Dino Maggio on the real estate development side. He's got a super cool office. And if you ever have a chance, you need to go there. Uh, his office looks like a 1950s uh, diner on a platform hovering above his collection of classic uh, collectible cars. And it's a wow. really fun place to be. So that's my second favorite place. But why? Well, and he's usually in there at 530 in the morning. But no, I don't go there at 530. So <laughs> are you favorite. a uh, fan of Starbucks? Uh, no, I like a nice, a nice rich cup of coffee. Yes. So Starbucks would work. But I'm also a big uh, espresso fan. So and Dino always makes me an espresso. Once in a while with a little Sambuca, but that's between you and me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and now to the real questions. You started Cypher Systems Group, I believe back in, was it university? Well, sort of. Um, we started Cypher Systems in 1983. So John Savage was my partner. I met him through a mutual friend. He was doing his master's of business at University of Windsor. Uh, I was in computer science and our mutual friend said, listen, I have a couple friend buddies who need a little help getting through a computer course for business school. And so I met John, did a little tutoring with him and another couple guys. Um, they passed the course. So I'm just, just, just for your information, they did pass the course. Um, and you know, we started, became, became friends and started chatting about what do you want to do when you finish school? And it's 1983, the personal computer, which is kind of ubiquitous today, was just starting to roll out into the world of business. And we said, mm, maybe there's an opportunity to sell computers and write software for different types of business. Um, and so we entered into that business. Uh, a year or two later, Stephen Savage, his brother, my other partner, joined us. Uh, as we entered into the world of insurance. So that's how we got into the insurance business. Both John and Stephen's background was in the insurance world. And uh, Reg Morianti, who 
is unfortunately passed, um, had this idea. He wanted to automate his quoting process of car insurance. And so I spent a few days with Reg and his wife uh, and learned a little bit about how do you rate insurance, learned all the particulars. You know, there's 30 to 50 questions in order that you have to answer in order to get car insurance. And all of those work in different ways, depending on the insurance company in order to develop the, the insurance rate, the, the, the premium that you're going to pay. Um, so I came back and said, okay, we can write the program for that. Unfortunately, these insurance rates are changing all the time. They're changing like literally every, well, two, twice a year for sure. And if you have 10 companies, that's 20 changes a year. So we're not going to be able to sell a person a piece of software and call it a day. You're going to forever have to service it. So we kind of came up today. It's called software as a service, but back then it was a subscription. And so we just mm -hmm. said, okay, we have to do, we'll have to work in that direction. So that kind of got us rolling on the insurance world. Uh, unfortunately, Reg's health kind of failed. We offered to buy his company from him called DF Insurance, which was located on Tecumseh Road. We bought that. And in 1986, we met a guy from General Motors who was tasked from, from Detroit. He was tasked with the responsibility of building an insurance offering for the CAW members of General Motors that lived in uh, Canada. So, and long story short, um, we don't have a long time, right? You told me, Lyndon, we don't have three hours to tell the story. So, so long story short, we ended up building, suggesting to him that he didn't want to necessarily just buy the software from us and try to create a, a contact center. They, it wasn't a call center at that time. This would have been direct mail and so on and so forth. So we said, listen, why don't you outsource it to somebody? He said, well, who would I outsource that to? And we said, give us a shot. And we pr presented a proposal. They accepted it. And that's how we got into the call center business. And so ah. that was 1986. And by 1990, we had you know, four or 500 people working for us in that con contact center for insurance. So it was, it was quick. So, anyway. so were, were you a, in university, were you a coder? Yeah, like I was a computer science student. I was a coder. Um, that's how really I started my career. We started off with a, a handful of people from uh, from university that I knew, and they were all computer science grads. And we kind of that's how we started the program, the programming side of our business here in Windsor. And then eventually, did you did you come off of the the coding? portion of your business and it was more on business development and and uh, employee retention scaling the business all of that stuff or did you yeah. always were you always technical in in the early stages you know John and Stephen were the business side uh, John mostly on the sort of business finance side marketing side but ultimately you have to meet the customer and explain that you're not just some goofy 23 year old kid who's trying to tell them how to do their business. So at some point I started to kind of slowly, but surely over the course of half a dozen years, morph into more of a business development type person. And so by probably mid nineties, I probably was out of the coding world and into more of the business development world, but it took, it took a while. 
And how old were you at this time when this all started? Well, I'm, I was born in 1960, you know, for complete transparency, I was born in 1960. <laughs> so I was 23 when we started the business. So I was pretty young. Wow. And, and John was, he's older than I am. I'm not going to say it's his birthday today, by the way, happy birthday, John. Um, as we're taping this, it's, or recording it, it's uh, February 15th. Uh, but he probably looked, he was late twenties, let's say just kind of late twenties. Uh, but probably looked about five years younger than me. He looked like he was like 18 years old at that point in time. So, yeah. And, and, and Stephen, same thing. Ditto. He was looked a lot younger than he was. So I always looked older. Sorry. And this is this is an interesting topic, especially being a young elected official, somebody who just entered. Yeah, the, he looked like you. Yeah, like it's it, it's. I have a good question for you. You know, just being a young professional, how did you get companies like General Motors and those that you were working with, your clients, your employees, to trust you and to look past the age? Yeah. You know, and there were a couple obstacles. I mean, first we did look really young. Uh, part of it was trying to, you know, talk the talk, um, being able to execute. Nobody's going to give you, I mean, our, because our, our uh, software was a service, they could cancel at any time. It wasn't like we were locking them into a 10 year contract or anything. So that was, that gave them a comfort. Um, B, you had to be able to speak authoritatively toward the, uh, to, toward their concerns. Um, mm -hmm. The other issue we had, though, in the, in the early 80s was the technology was pretty new, too, right? So you didn't, they didn't know that even the technology itself was going to be around. I mean, this is like, think, well, you don't even know this. I mean, most of your, your, your viewers probably don't even know it. Let's say it's 2007. That's when the iPhone first came out. And it was like, nah. Is this just is this a gimmick? Is it uh, the CB radio of 2007? Is this just going to be a flash in the pan and go away? So we had a lot of those kind of obstacles to uh, to deal with. However, you know, we sort of so you know talk authoritatively, be able to know the business well, better than they expected, and then be able to say, listen, you don't have to. You know, we're not locking you into a long-term agreement. You know, we'll prove ourselves. And once we prove ourselves, we go from there. So that was kind of the, it's like Moore's law, you know, Moore's law really is the technology doubles every, every, every year. Right. Mm -hmm. We had the same sort of issues with, in terms of customer base, in terms of employee base, et cetera. So those and are how, And how have you seen your being being in this computer computer based company dealing with insurance, I know it was many other um, types of services as well on top of insurance, but specifically with insurance, how have you seen that industry grow since you started back in the eighties and nineties? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if we pioneered the whole contact center kind of idea, but mm -hmm. certainly we're one of the first. Uh, companies that were in that contact center. So much of insurance now is done not necessarily over the kitchen table as it was probably in the you know, 70s, 80s, maybe very early uh, 90s. It's it's a lot of it is through a contact center. Let's like dealing with your bank, right? You're not necessarily yeah. going to a teller. You're going to uh, a, a contact center. So that's a big change. Um, another interesting change was as 
our technology grew, we had some insurance companies just realize, oh, they can add a lot more rules. So for instance, where you live is very important as an example. Um, when we started, they probably broke Ontario down into maybe eight, 10 different jurisdictions. And that was mm-hmm. a, a broad, you know, might've in, included all of, you know, Win, uh, Windsor, Essex and Kent County, right? Um, but they started to get, oh, we can get a lot more specific because we're not making an insurance broker look up the rates for a specific postal code. We can, uh, we can do that through the software. So as our software became more sophisticated, so did the insurance companies in terms of being able to uh, segment their, their customer base. So that was a big change. Um, and then, of course, our software originally was just car insurance, but it grew to be homeowners, tenants, condominium owners, you know, all the, the, the boats, all, all types of insurance that individuals would buy. So that was a big change too, but it allowed us. And then finally, probably in the mid 2000s, early 2010, insurance companies said, we don't even have to publish books anymore that sent every time you think about it, an insurance company in Ontario would have maybe a thousand different insurance brokers. They, and brokers being maybe half a dozen individuals, they'd have to publish 6,000 manuals, books, right? And send it out to all of those people. A a number of insurance companies said, well, since the the vast majority of them are using this copy code software, that was the software that we produced. um, We don't even have to produce manuals anymore. We'll just, you know, tell them to use the software and that's kind of it, which was great for us, but it was also, good for the insurance company because can you imagine and these manuals are thick i mean they're hundreds of pages so yeah everybody saved a little bit of money so so yeah. sounds like the the more you were excelling in your company and gaining attention more regulations came yeah exactly <laughs> well and it's yeah it's just like it's like all these other businesses that you, you hear about today you know the twitters and the googles and stuff you know if you can as they could do more with us they did more yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, now I just want to switch the topic a little bit more towards uh, what you're doing now um, with with your business in real estate. Yeah. So there was um, an exciting announcement, I think, early this week or late last about uh, a building that was was all done up downtown Windsor. Yep. Could you share more about that project? Yeah, well, we're pretty big into real estate um, and I, I like it because at our at our Zenith, uh, we had about 1600 employees. That's a lot of employees. So, you know, you think about, you know, one of the obstacles we had to deal with was going from six employees to 12 to 24 every year, doubling, doubling, doubling until we, we got to about 1600 employees. And there's, there, there are issues with 1600 employees just in terms of administration, et cetera. So as we started to divest of those businesses and sell them off, we, we sort of pivoted into the real estate business. So we bought a bunch of buildings down, we bought a bunch of buildings around the city, but particularly downtown Windsor. You know, the University of Windsor spent just a ton of money downtown. The the social work building, the old armories, which is the School of Creative Arts, the old uh, uh, property that was right across the street, the um, uh, tunnel barbecue property a bunch of property and St. Clair College started to invest downtown. So we started to see, okay, these are big institutions investing a lot of money. We looked at 
the properties downtown and kind of zeroed in first on the old fish market property, which is at the corner of Ferry and Chatham. It was abandoned. It was hadn't been uh, occupied for 10 years. Uh, and we said, geez, it's right across the street from the social work building, the building that the University of Windsor spent a small fortune on. And we said, you know, maybe that's worth giving it a shot. And that's where Dino and, and Anthony Maggio come in. Uh, we owned a bunch of properties with them already. And, you know, Dino in particular has a good vision as to, okay, people will look at these properties and think they're just, they're a, they're a wreck. And Dino will see past that and say, okay, but I can do this, this, that, and the other thing, and we can turn these properties around. So we, we, we bought that property and that became the home for the Rocket Innovation Center, which is owned by Dan Gilbert from Quicken Loans um, Rocket Mortgage in Detroit, Michigan. <clears throat> And then the opportunity arose to buy the two buildings across the street, uh, the old, I guess it was Chatham Street Grill, the most recent, and the beer market, as well as the apartment building that is above the beer market. So we bought those buildings and then we converted them and renovated, restored those buildings. And now that becomes the home for the Windsor-Essex Development Commission. They're called something else today. The, so the one building you're talking about was the old poorhouse, which was in my generation was called uh, Ye Old Steakhouse. And now that's a three-story building and that's become home to uh, Rocket Mortgage. So Rocket Mortgage, which, uh, you know, um, they, they expanded, they needed some more space, they moved there. And then my wife, Lisa, was pretty adamant that we needed to have more restaurants downtown, right? So this, I'll give her, I'll give her a, a hat tip on that. So we all said, okay, we'll go look for a, a partner on that. And that became, that was um, Oven 360. And Oven 360 wanted to create a new uh, fuller service restaurant and that's Cucina 360. So they occupy the main floor of that exact same building. So we're pretty happy about that. So, yeah. Why, why did you choose downtown Windsor? Ah, you know, that's an interesting question. We, um, so I grew up in the seventies and, and, and early eighties, obviously. Uh, when Lisa and I met, um, she was working downtown and we have very fond memories of downtown. So there's a little bit of, little bit of nostalgia there. And we remember how vibrant downtown Windsor was in the eighties and nineties. And, and we think there's no reason it can't go back to that, to being super, super active downtown. And, you know, we see signs of that again. The University of Windsor buying a bunch of properties, St. Clair College moving in, uh, friends of ours, uh, uh, Vito and Michelle Maggio of uh, Vito's uh, Pizzeria fame, bought the uh, uh, the old City Grill, the old Burks building, for those of you that are watching that are 100 years old or more or less like me. Um, and so we see people moving into downtown. So we think, one, we think it's a good opportunity, but two, there's a certain part of us that says, listen, we need to have a vibrant downtown. If you think about downtown Windsor in particular, people who come to Canada through the tunnel, what's the first thing they see? Downtown Windsor. Right? Yeah, the uh, armory building, I think, the back of the armory. More or less, right? And people who are leaving Canada through the tunnel, what's the last thing they see? Downtown Windsor. So your first impression and your last impression are both the same place. 
downtown Windsor, Ontario. So, you know, we think it's very important for the city as a whole to have a, a good impression, a great looking downtown. So um, I think my wife, Lisa, coined the phrase, it's clean, beautiful and safe, CBS. It's like the TV stations, right? Uh, clean, beautiful, safe. So if we can make downtown Windsor clean, beautiful and safe, we'll have a vibrant downtown again, right? So we believe it's possible and it's a bit of a legacy, frankly. I mean, we're at the stage now where the businesses are have to a great degree, other than the Spitz, Go Spitz, um, uh, are, and Vipers and uh, Lakeshore Canadians uh, are, you know, they're running on their own and we don't have to d deal with it too much. So downtown Windsor. Now we have real estate elsewhere in Windsor, but nonetheless, we think downtown Windsor is important. For the now, where's your statue going to go? Oh, <clears throat> my statue. Well, you're going to put it up in Amherstburg, I think. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I went to school at General Amherst. You know that? Did you know that? I I did not. High school, General Amherst, and Sandwich Secondary before Sandwich was even built. I was at school at General Amherst. Right oh, there. well, this this makes this interview even better. There you are. <laughs> uh, now transitioning over. I mean, you've invested millions downtown, no doubt, uh, but you've also contributed immensely to many nonprofit organizations, Windsor Cancer Center Foundation, Grow on Windsor, so many others, the list goes on, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association. What inspires you to give back? Because um, it's, it's a lot that you've invested to help our community, both on real estate and in just philanthropic work. What inspires you to do that? Well, first of all, I guess it starts with family, right? Um, both my parents were immigrants to Canada. My dad came over in 1947. My mom came over in 1950. And they were very, very, very grateful that they were able to move to Canada, build a business. My dad was Schwab's Meats, uh, if people remember that name. Um, and, you know, my parents worked very hard, but were very grateful they were able to move to Canada uh, and, and, and create a business and, and raise a family. Elisa's parents, um, her dad was a, uh, a, a, an educator, a uh, longtime educator. He was on city council here in Windsor. He was the chairman of the Windsor Utilities Commission and was really a, a forerunner to the, uh, of the whole greening of the riverfront in Windsor. So him and, and Frank strike that during his council tenure, he was always fighting for building the, the riverfront of Windsor. And her mother was very active. It was a, uh, a, an early journalist with the Windsor Star and then became a uh, morning host on um, CBC radio and was very active in the arts community. So we've kind of had this, this uh, merging of you know, a, a lot of gratitude and a lot of community spirit with through Lisa's parents. And so mm -hmm. giving back, if you will, it's not really even giving back. I mean, it, it also made business sense in, in terms of this. You know, if you want to hire 1,500, 1,600 employees and keep them, you want your community to be as good as it can. And we hired a lot of people and drew them in from other communities like Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo, London, etc. And so the better our community, the easier it is, frankly, to retain these people because they're smart, 
they can go work anywhere they want. So mm -hmm. there was a, there was a, John, Stephen and I had a philosophy that, okay, that makes sense from a business point of view, but also hinging on the gratitude. Uh, uh, my parents taught me and my sisters and in the municipal or community sort of spirit that Lisa's parents, uh, Roy and Nancy <coughs> uh, provided, it made sense to, to do as much as we can. So we love, the Cancer Center, the CMHA, the Symphony on the art side, the Art Gallery of Windsor, um, you know, the uh, We Care for Kids, Transition to Betterness. These are all, you know, uh, organizations that we try to support as much as we can. So, well, it's 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 definitely appreciated uh, wholeheartedly, and it's it's it was a good philosophy you shared, building a community for those that are working in your in your in your um in your business um because what they do outside of work impacts if they stay or not and end up working for you so it it, it helped both ways and it was interesting to hear that and we we carried on with the spits i mean every month yep. we we have a not-for-profit that all of our 50 50 proceeds go to or you know the half that the the, the individual doesn't win uh who's who's putting the wager down um, and it, it, that's a very good feeling. So, you know, I think, you know, last month, I think it was CMHA and it was well over $20,000. I mean, that's a lot of money to these yeah. organizations. And so, you know, the Spitfires and the Spitfire Foundation will continue to do those sorts of things as well. So that's, it's, that's pretty gratifying. You're uh, you're a busy man, Brian. <laughs> we, we, you know, busy hands are happy hands. That's what my dad used to say. <laughs> awesome. My last question for you. Uh, reflecting on all of your successes so far, any just a general advice for young leaders, business professionals that you might be able to share? Yeah, you know, we always focused on the long game, right? It was never try to win in the short term. Um, focus on the long game. Uh, so, for instance, with General Motors, when, when we first started doing business with them, nobody, neither us or they knew exactly how popular that program was going to be. Mm -hmm. And we said, oh, and they had always received a, you know, low single digit response. And we said, listen, we'll build a price based on that low single digit response, but we want to have, you know, levels above that for higher response rates, for instance. And we built a schedule and they agreed to it and we went ahead. Well, about a year later, all the results were in and the response rate was substantially higher than that. And they owed us a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money in 1987 dollars, right? And uh, you could tell when we presented it to them, they maybe weren't thrilled about it. And we said, listen, in exchange for getting a long-term agreement with you, we'll cut that and we, you know, we found efficiencies and we learned how to do the business and we we're good at it. We'll, we'll cut that price back by a, like by 75%, like was, we're dropping the price by a substantial amount. Um, but in exchange, we want to be your partner kind of forever. And mm -hmm. they, they, and we were here and I'm like, I'm 25, six years old. We're at the uh, General Motors uh, head office. We're at the, in the GMAC boardroom. And I got all these guys that are old guys. They're probably younger than I am now, but they were old guys to me back then. Uh, and and the, 
the 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 chairman of their their group looked up and he was sitting kind of right beside where I was standing and he says okay I think we have a deal let's go for lunch at the St. Regis which was a hotel across the street on West Grand Boulevard and we did business with him for over 30 years so that was a pretty good deal we made that day giving up a little bit of money day one well a lot of money to us but you know but being able to earn that money 50 times over over the next uh, 20 or 30 years so that's great so play the long game don't look to how can i make a buck today think about how can i keep making you know maybe less than a dollar today but long long term that would be my my suggestion so well it's it's helpful to me too just entering a, a new role and um right like young professionals they come out of university and they're <laughs> they want to make money quickly and they want to make it right away but that's not the reality and uh, like you mentioned right sometimes you got to work for free you got to give to get and and all that stuff so i appreciate that brian yeah thank you awesome and uh those watching if you're looking to catch this episode if you missed it that's okay visit coffeewithcraner.com you can watch all of my episodes and the goat episode with brian uh, 99 <laughs> <laughs> so i just want to thank you brian for for what you do in our community and for making the time i know you're extremely busy i uh, appreciate you being on the show and to those tuning in thanks for being here Thanks, Lyndon. Take care. Take care, Bye. everyone.